0: Here we go, here we go, here we go. Fold your hands, close your eyes, or kneel, or go flat on your face, whatever you do in your pray. Cast all your anxieties on Him. Jesus cares about you, 1 Peter 5. Grant us, O Lord, not to mind earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And while we now dwell among things that are passing away, teach us to cleave to those things that abide forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen all right it 's great to see all of you. Uh, I got a note here saying we should give some money to Russia so we can do that if you put money in the basket. Pastor Nelson just volunteered to have the Bishop here in January and to host him for the seminary conference so that 's good yeah um, russia the Russia goes well. The problem with Russia is like is that things work there, and then when it works, they cost money and Our problem is that we often can 't pay attention, so you know churches can pay attention for ten or twenty years and then they kind of move they shift focus so the Russians are mildly neglected right now, so if we give them money, that would be a good thing. All right. Any questions about last week, or anything you want to chat about? You saw the bad news on the Prodigal Son and the Babbling Bee. You know this. Uh, I just, you know, this tilts a little bit to the right. So, you know, if you're, you know, don't, don't. Uh, I don't give you this, so you'll gnash. But these guys are clever. Whoever this is, I actually don't know who they are. What are you doing? It feels good loud. It like it's about to feed back. <laughs> Duke. Seriously, does it feel like it's going to feed back? Yeah, it feels like honest. I don't have to work yeah. so hard. I'm just being honest with you. Let's face it. All right, if it gets to be too much, if I start to get too excited, you'll let me know, okay? I told the vicar this morning if he just learned the prodigal son story, then he could go be a pastor. And if he doesn't learn it, then he can't go be a pastor because that's about all you need to know. But there are these stories where there's, if you just get this one story right, everything is going to be okay. Let me just start by reminding you that the penalty for not listening is to remain the way you are. So Jesus comes, and this is the thing about words. You know, words are very easily deflected, right? In fact, many husbands, when their wives talk, don't even need to do this. Over the years, they've learned to not listen while they look like they're listening, right? Which is what we often do to Jesus. We we don't listen while we look like we're listening. Every you know we oh yeah Jesus such a nice boy and then he says something like, "Love people who tell you to drop dead." Oof. And all the gradations above this, of course. You know this just doesn't count for you know murder one. This counts for all the other times when we offend each other, when we're hard on each other, when you know, we disobey, when our children disobey. It's not just like it doesn't have to be the nuclear option in order for this to go into effect, that we're patient with people and love them. When we don't listen, it's because we don't have faith. So one of the interesting things about us is, and we're gonna see this in a little bit with the older son, our desire to lock things down so that we've said all the right things and have all the answers and thought about all the outcomes and put the fix in. And it must be this way. Uh, There's a faithlessness in that. If you really walk with Jesus to the cross, he really, really means it when he says, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? That's the ultimate... This isn't where I trusted you, and this is not working out. I loved you, and you didn't love me back. And this is the danger in any relationship, of course. This is why hearts are broken. This is why we fall in love, and there's a breakup, and we actually say, you know, my heart is broken, because it is broken, because you've trusted yourself to someone who didn't return your love. This often happens um, in relationships with other people, with friends, um, with, you know, Wives and husbands and also with kids, to love heartily and not have that love returned is the most crushing thing. However, it is the way of Jesus, this great risk that God takes to love us and not make us love him back, to let us be free and let us to be human beings. So it's really quite a remarkable thing. But if you don't listen, you know, uh, Jesus can't help you. That's one of the most interesting things about him. He won't force you. He won't force you. He doesn't work by force. Just as an aside, occasionally when I give my little thing about nothing good happens by force, there's always somebody who says, how will anything ever get done? Of course, you don't let your children run the family like Lord of the Flies. Okay, (laughs) Of course. Of course, society has rules. But it was that great thing by Nagel that I run a couple of times for you in the bulletin It ran a few weeks ago, where he says, um, force is the admission that love has failed to some degree, right? So first love, and then if force needs to be used, it needs to be used. The other thing is just the presupposition, especially in a church context. Remember, this is Jesus talking to Pharisees who are a little cranky because he's too close to sinners. Everybody knows the rules. This is why occasionally the rookie mistake at a funeral is to preach a lot of law about that damn sinner in the box. Brings to mind one of my favorite sayings. An Italian proverb. I haven't thought about this for a long time. At the end of the day, the king and the pawn go into the same box. Right? Beautiful. So, I mean, you don't need to preach a lot of law at a funeral because you have a dead body in front of you. To everybody, the law is fairly clear. This is what happens if you're a damn sinner. So you sort of say, well, here's our friend, and is there any hope? Right? Sin abounds. Grace abounds all the more always far more gospel than law. Sin abounds, 2 plus 2 plus 2. Grace abounds, 2 times 2 times 2 times 2. Sin abounds, grace floods the landscape. That's what you're seeing in this. We don't always like it because it seems um, unpredictable. And the other thing, as we'll find in the older brother, it robs us from the enjoyment of being right, at least for a moment. If we lock everything down, we get to be right. We can feel good about ourselves because we did the right thing lovelessly harshly without regard to other people in a way that jesus himself would never do it but we did the right thing ah that's all illusion so here's what i did um i went back and thought about this what i want you to see today is probably a single thing that this parable should be known as the two lost sons because one is as lost as the other and in exactly the same way okay So I'm going to give you a really quick read. So what I did is there was was five or six things. I know this doesn't happen often that we didn't get through last week. So what I did was um, I clipped those and rearranged them at the end of uh, today's thing. So what we didn't, you actually got what we didn't get through last week. It's just at the end. It's at the end of today's outline. I feel like I'm totally confusing. But if I read scripture, everything will work out. So grab a Bible. Luke 15. I'm just going to gloss this for you a little bit as we go. Ready? Luke 15. So I submit the lost sons. Uh, Verse 2. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right? Friend of sinners is one of the names that they use to take Jesus down. When you say your prayers tonight... If you happen to sin during the day, you might say, Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners. He would be the kind of, he would welcome you home. Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Drop dead. Give me my share of the estate. So I want my half. I want it now. I want to be able to sell it. I want to be able to move on from you. And then the craziest thing happens. The father divided his property between them. So the older son got his and the younger son got his. That means now the father is completely dependent for his livelihood on his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant land, and there he squandered his wealth. So he lost everything in wild living After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So, you know, he's popular as long as he has money. He thinks he's impervious, but as soon as he loses everything, he's completely vulnerable. He had a father. He had a brother. He had a community. He had a spot. He was located. He was warm and safe and dry. And now he's got nothing. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. So he's a Jew working for a Gentile, touching unclean animals' pigs, and eating pig food. He longed to fill his stomach with, these are probably wild carob pods, wild carob pods that the pigs were eating, and then this great thing, but no one gave him anything. Live by the law, die by the law. You want what you deserve? This is what you deserve. When you've got nothing you deserve nothing. When you contribute nothing, you deserve nothing. You want God to be fair? This is a fair God. Of course, the primary thing about the Christian God is that he's unfair, gives you what you don't deserve. When he came to his senses, he said, hey, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll go back. I'll set out, and I'll go back to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and against you. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. So that part's good. That's kneeling down at the front of the church and saying, I poor, miserable sinner. That's good. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So far, so good. Because it's true. We don't make ourselves worthy to be a son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So I'm not going to live in the house. I'm not going to make any claim on you. I'm going to live in the village and I'm going to work and save and maybe I can pay you back and maybe something will work out or some variation on that. So he got up and he went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, which suggests his father used to go out and look for him. You know, the way Jesus looks for you and wonders, you know. It's great this morning. I should say this kind of stuff? I don't know. I looked out the window this morning and I saw somebody who's a member here out taking a run, I'll fuzzy this up for you a little bit, who hasn't been to church in six months, and I almost stuck my head out and said, hey, where are you going? This is the door. But then I thought, you know, that's probably not the best thing, so find another way in. Anyway, he was still a long way off. His father saw him, was filled with compassion. Jesus, think of Jesus, That remember you see that misericordia, the beating heart of Jesus, that bloody open heart that you sometimes see, Jesus' heart on the cross. When he was a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion, and he ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and he gave him shoes, and he gave him something to wear. And in doing that, he didn't give him a beating. He kept the villagers from giving him a beating. He reestablished his location within the family, and he showed everybody that he gets respect. He wears the father's robe. He has the father's ring. And the servants humiliate themselves by putting shoes on their on his feet, so he is returned to exactly what he was before. Uh, no questions asked, no conditions. The son said to him, "I've sinned against you I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." But then the father stops him before he can give the rest of it. The father said to his servants, "Come on, get him dressed." Let's have a feast and celebrate verse twenty four. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know the most beautiful words I wrote at the end. If you haven't if you've ever read if you haven't read Tobias Wolf Old School, like just even if you just go to the bookstore, if you can find a bookstore and read the last eleven pages. I mean it was the most it makes you weep, it's so beautiful. I mean it just is He was dead, now he's alive, he was lost, now he's found. And they began to celebrate. This is the story of every absolution, right? This is the story of every Eucharist. He was lost, now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. Okay, so that's as much as we did last week. Y'all good still? I think the hard part is not in the understanding. The hard part for us is in the execution, right? So if you take a look at, um, just take a look at the handout. And I'll try to stick with it a little bit. The whole point of this story is that Jesus would rather die than hold your sins against you. The Father would rather die than hold the sins against his Son. The Father would rather die than hold the sins against his Son. Jesus would rather die than hold your sins against you. If Jesus has a choice between dying for your sins and letting you keep your sins, Jesus takes your sins away from you and then he dies for them. He takes your sins away. The only way they can hurt you is if you take them back, which is what the older son is going to do now. So I'm at point number two. There are a few tremors here from the older brother. In the Middle East, a couple of things should have happened. You remember I this all comes from Kenneth Bailey, who went around and told these stories to Bedouin and to... Uh, people, Arabs to Jewish communities, and said, "Tell me what this story means, but especially to to Bedouin who may who would, who would kind of fill in the customs. so what does this mean? What does this mean? A couple of things should have happened in the Middle East. Um, the older son should have refused his share of the inheritance. in fact, he should have protested. he should have gone hard against his brother in defense of his father, but he doesn 't do that. He never says, hey, dad, don't drop dead. Also in the Middle East, and this is one of the problems when you know, we have in the West, Europe and Americans have trouble with diplomacy there, is we often don't understand the structure what still exists. Usually you look to someone who is connected to both parties as a mediator. You go hard at each other at loggerheads, and then you back off and somebody who knows you both and will be fair steps in. That would have been the older brother's spot. And later, as long as we're just doing this, the oldest brother should have been the father's representative at the feast. So there's a long tradition of the oldest brother in the family standing barefoot at the door, greeting guests as they come to a feast. This frees the father to entertain and to honor his guests. But the older son's job is to stand and greet to love the guests his father loves. To honor the guests his father honors. Right? So we'll see this in a moment. When he won't come in, he is telling his own father, drop dead. Is this grave disobedience of his father. So passively at the beginning, he doesn't honor his father. He doesn't stand up for his father. He doesn't say, don't talk to my father like that. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't honor his father passively. And later, actively, he doesn't contribute in the image of his father. So this is the bottom of the page. The older son's silence and his inaction suggests that, frankly, he hates his father as well. So I turned the page. So really, this is a story about two lost sons. There's so much to talk about here, and the time goes so fast. Let me just, let me just see if I can give you this point to think about. You know that Jesus told stories about Pharisees and publicans. Another story is, you remember this story where he says, two guys went up to the temple, one guy knelt down and said, I'm a horrible person, forgive me. And the other guy stood in the front and said, I'm better than everybody else, I tithe, I fast, I'm glad I'm not like that guy over there. This is the same story. And there's two ways um, that you can go wrong. One is, you can just be a God-awful sinner, like what's a way to disrespect your parents? One way is to be this kind of buy, sell, you know, take your inheritance, sell your stuff, let the rumors come back, refuse your parents, ruin them, say that they're dead to you, right? You're dead to me. Sure, that's one way. So one way to ruin things is to be a great big sinner. But the other way is to be an arrogant, proud still in the family, nobody can stand you, you think you're better than everybody else, and the judgment is always on others, that's just as bad, and it misses the mark just as hard. You're just as far off. If you're kind of the prissy, never can forgive, always judging other people, always find nothing wrong with you, but always wrong with other people, that's death too. So it's death to be a damn sinner in one way, but it's death to be a damn sinner in another way. It's just different symptoms. Same disease. So you have two sons who are intolerable and really outside their father's life, outside their father's family, and outside their father's love. Right? One's, one's as bad as the other. So, what does the father do? Well, this is point four. You already saw this. To the first son, he humiliates himself And he doesn't do any deals. That's the wisdom of forgiveness, being able to see what's going on. No, you can't make excuses for your sins. There's no excuse for your sins. You can't make up for your sins. There's nothing you could do. When things are shattered, you know, you you can go on, but it's always different, right? What the father does is have a love that is stronger than death. So the father and son die to each other when the young boy leaves. And they're resurrected together when the young boy comes back. So he redefines his son as alive, as part of the family, as good, as forgiven, as noble. Now the trouble is, I'm going to turn the page here if I can get these to the stick. is that the older son has the same sin, but he won't accept the same remedy. He won't trust his father or his father's judgment. So, point five, faith agrees. So, faith means that you see and say and do as Jesus does. In this story, faith in the father means you see and say and do as your father does. Faith agrees. You see how this goes with listening. Listening and memory and faith are all synonyms. If you leave today and just say, well, that story's not for me or that'll never work, that's unfaith. Right? Jesus is telling you how the kingdom of God works. It works like this. This is how it works. If you do something else, you're living in another kingdom or you're polluting the kingdom of God with outside ideas. This is how the kingdom of God works. This is the very first thing we do Not by straight-line power, not by force. Right? Jesus has a kingdom, but it's not an earthly kingdom. It doesn't work like earthly kingdoms. And when it's always judgment about other people, my judgment, when it's always condemnation, my condemnation, when it's always arrogance, I'm better than other people. When it's the refusal to be forgiven and then forgive, that is another kingdom. Now, what's so interesting is that the father does the very same thing to the older son as he's done to the younger son. So the younger son is lost. He comes back. The father loves him, pulls him close, humiliates himself, and the son responds, and everybody pops back to life. This is great. Let's have a party. That's how your church should run. You should never think about people coming through the door or kids who haven't been here for a long time or that guy told you about running by today. The answer isn't, hey, I'm way better than you. The answer is, there's a party here, and you should be part of it because you're part of our family. When somebody comes back after a long lapse, the, you know, the right answer is, thank God. Sit in your old pew. You know, Thank God you're here. That's the right answer. We humiliate ourselves so they can come back. It doesn't mean we're standardless. It means we're friend of sinners doesn't mean we condone all the wrong that's been done. It means that we know that we're working with sinners. That's our demographic. The way hungry people are, you know, demographic to a grocery store. Dead people are demographic to a funeral home. Damn sinners is our demographic. We don't have any damn sinners around here. We're out of business. Come on, people, sin like cr- no. Hold on. So, <laughs> you know, but you take the point, right? This is how you engage sinners, right? You engage them with love, with resurrection, with purity. Come on. It doesn't mean we... It's a crazy thing about Jesus. When he touches people who are polluted, it doesn't pollute him. They don't make him unclean. He makes them clean. Same with you. When you you have to be careful, this depends on your spiritual strength. I mean... You have to be careful where you go and what you do. There's some things you shouldn't do and some places you shouldn't go and somebody who has more experience or a stronger faith should go. You should be very careful about what you touch but the point is to pull sins out of sinners to extract them. Number six. So what about the older son? My argument is this is the very same story. So the older son is off in the fields. You already heard this pigs and pods far away. He's away from home, so he's off in the fields, right? I mean, You can't push these things too hard, but just kind of think about it. So you've got two sons. They're both away from home. They're both off in the fields. They both return home to their father, right? He's out in the fields. He comes back. He has to say to this little boy, hey, what's going on here? They both return to this magnanimity of the father, this love of the father, so you remember, while he was a long way off, the young boy sees the celebration of his father. When he's a long way off, the old boy hears the celebration of his father, right? You see how the parallel is like, doot, 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 doot. It's, you know, it's the same story. Just one is, does it a long ways away, and one does it close. One kid went to COD. You know, One of them went to San Diego State. They're both in trouble, okay? <laughs> you know, my advice, send your kids a long way away. You just don't want to see it. But that's another lecture, okay? So there you go. And they both come back to food and dancing and drinking and a feast, right? There's two ways to screw this up. There's one love that solves it, Bob Marley. Custom, just checking, just checking, just checking. You only know that from the Jamaica commercial, unfortunately. So, um, Now, here's the thing. Verse 26 and 27. Um, 25. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants. It actually says one of the little boys. So there's little boys didn't get to go into the feast because they act like little boys do at a feast today. They, you know, punch each other in the nose and nobody wants to see that. So the little boys are kind of gathered at the gate. When it he calls one of the little boys, he says to him, Hey, what's going on? He says, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf. And that's just so beautiful. Faith of children. Because he has him back safe and sound. Isn't that great? Even a kid gets it. Hey, he's back safe and sound. So everything's forgiven. Let's have a party. And the older brother became angry. So, first, he's suspicious which is a very popular way of engaging life these days. We're always suspicious of any story, of any person, of anybody not in our tribe. The hermeneutic of suspicion is the primary hermeneutic if you just kind of watch TV or you read the newspaper. That person is not what they say they are, right? There's always another motive. The problem with that, of course, is that it leads to anger and then to cynicism. We start to despair of everybody. We can't trust anybody. Um, Jesus' way is to trust and then see what happens. The older brother became angry, and then, you could put it here, and he publicly refused to go in. So as soon as he arrives, what should happen is he should say, whoa, i got to get cleaned up and get to the door. The old man needs me. We're having a party, but it's a big party. It's the fatted calf. Everybody is invited. I'm sure he needs my help. I'll do what my customary duty is. So when he shows up, but he doesn't assume his responsibilities, he is insulting his father in the same way that the younger son did when he said, drop dead. This is another way of saying to his father, drop dead. It gets worse. So his father... Oh, it's not on the board anymore. I was going to say it's exactly the same picture, but it's not there anymore. So his father humiliates himself and goes out to him, and he pleads with him. I mean, the old man, he must be worn out already. I mean, whose fault is this? There must be somebody to blame, right? So the father, again, he's like, we just saw this movie, right? So the father goes out to him, and he pleads with him, come on. But he says to his father, hey, all these years, and then the the choice of the word is very important there, all these years I've been slaving for you. It's actually the word for slavery. You kind of go, I don't know if any of you grew up in a family business. I did. In fact, I was telling a couple of people in the Joy Group, I found my very first paycheck the other day working for my old man, 35 cents an hour. Don't worry, I invested it well. It, was, it's all, it all worked out. So, uh, but, and you know, sometimes if you work in a family business, long hours and late nights and get the dirt out of the corners and, you know, but it's what you do because you're part of the family, right? No, no. It's very interesting the word that's used. This is for somebody who's disconnected, who's, who's a slave, who doesn't benefit, doesn't live in the home. All these years I've slaved for you. And I've never disobeyed your orders, you know, except for not loving my brother and not loving you and humiliating you in front of your friends and refusing to greet at the door and now yelling at you in front of the whole party. Other than that, I've never disobeyed your orders, right? You kind of go, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends as opposed to hey, there's a fatted calf and enough for everybody and my family is what's most important. This is an insult to his, this is a veiled insult to his father. I'd rather be with my friends than having a young goat, you know, hamburger, as opposed to be having prime rib with you with my brother. So basically, I don't love you and I don't want to be around you, but you'd think I'd get something for all the years I've slaved for you. And I never disobeyed you. Right? So I never disobeyed you, and I never got anything. To which the father replies, right? everything is yours. When this son of yours, this son of yours, not your brother, and I didn't actually say this. I didn't, This is so important. He, sh- he should have led by saying, father, to, to, in the Middle East, titles are so important, and approach is so important. Respect is everything, honor and shame should have said this at the beginning. He doesn't begin by saying, Father, da-da-da-da-da. He talks to him as if he's an equal or his lesser. He just starts shouting at him, boom, 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 right? In the Middle East, nobody talks to uh, a a person of, of stature this way. So I've slaved for you. I never got anything. I never got a goat. I can never be with my friends. This son of yours, not my brother, The son of yours squandered his property with prostitutes. That was never in the story, but we all like to, you know, make it. Believe me, nobody reads the retractions tomorrow on page 7. They just read the front page. Son squanders living with prostitutes, right? I mean, go home and read the front page of any newspaper today. Squandered with prostitutes, he comes home, and for him, you kill the fatted calf. You see, this is the great criticism of Christianity that we step over ills, that we forgive really bad sins, that anything can be forgiven, that all your sins can be taken away, that you could never make up for them, but Jesus makes up for them. You can say it any way you want in one sentence. This is the essence of Christianity, that Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors. That Jesus forgives every sin you got, that Jesus floods the landscape, that we live by grace, that it's not about being fair, it's about being given to, and we're nothing but given to. And Jesus forgives more sins than you've got, to which he says, not my family. I would, and if you want to be a good Lutheran, prefer the law to the gospel. I'd like to earn what I have. I'd like everything squared up. I'd like a good hierarchy. And frankly, from my perch, I'd like to look down on other people. But I'm also not very good at looking up at people like my father. As opposed to saying, I am a wreck, right? I have absolutely nothing. I'm dead. And of course, as you know, only the dead can be resurrected. You come to church every week dead. When we kneel down and say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner in word and deed, by what I've done and what I've left undone, and my world is hopeless, you're basically saying, I'm, I'm the walking dead. Like, this is it. And I can't fix it myself. And one of the great bits of spiritual and actually mental maturity is to understand you can't do it all yourself. You can be fixed, but you can't fix yourself. You're dependent on what comes to you from outside. This is why you should listen. Because words come from outside. Because the Eucharist comes from outside. Because baptism and the holy name come from outside. Because forgiveness comes from outside. Everything comes from outside you because inside you, there's no good thing. You are dead. Right? It's all there in just this one line. This is the only line you need. Right? Verse 31. My son, and look now he's the father again. So he didn't call him his father. He humiliates him, just like the younger son did. And the father comes to him and he lets himself be humiliated and then he restores the relationship. My son, so even if you won't call me father, I'll call you son. My son, said the father, you are always with me, location. And everything that I have is yours, gift and blessing status consolation but we had to celebrate and be glad because you know Jesus leaves the 99 sheep and he goes out and finds the other one right but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours who was dead this brother of yours your brother not my son your brother this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I mean, that's the most beautiful words in Scripture. This brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Resurrection. This is Easter. He was lost, outside, alone, vulnerable, unable to save himself. And now he's, passive verb, been found, right? He's been found. He's found. Um, If the church could just figure this out, you know, people would crawl over broken glass through fire to come to church. What people are afraid of is that when they get here, we will judge them. It's funny, I was in, um, you know, Kleinig has come and gone a couple times. Um, I'm going to see him again before he goes, but, you know, we talk about this and that, and he made this poignant observation. I was, often say to him, what should I do, and, hey, what do you think about this, and, Here's what I'm planning on. But he, he said to me, uh, he said, it's so interesting. We always want mercy for ourselves, but justice for everybody else. Right? I mean, in a sentence, that's how you, you, know, you tell people who are kind of another kind of person. They can get it in a sentence. We all want mercy for ourselves. We all sinned this week. We all did stupid stuff. We all did stuff we wish we could take back. There's places we didn't listen. There are places we were too harsh. There are places where we don't understand. There's places where we broke hearts. There's people that we hurt. And we come, and what do we want for ourselves? We want mercy. We want to be embraced. We want to be resurrected. We want the Father to humiliate himself. We want the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to humiliate themselves and come lower than us and lift us up. That's what we want. That's what we need. That's what we know. But for other people, uh, if they could just shape up a little bit, show a little bit of improvement, make a couple of good steps, start the relationship. We want mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for everybody else. That is the thing that breaks the church because it means we've stopped listening and stopped doing what the church is meant to do. I've given you, um, believe it or not, I'm all the way through kind of by memory, uh, 7, 8, and 9, and um, keep going. Wow. I could see the clock out of the corner of my eye, right? So just kind of go to 10. No matter what you think and no matter what I think, Love, and then more love, is the Lord's preferred cure for rebels. Uh, when you're a rebel, that's how he cures you. We want mercy for ourselves. And um, in some ways, the, hard, the older son is the harder case. Because the older son is a little more like we are. I mean, we're basically, this isn't a room full of people who were so far off the rails, they never came back. usually, you know, you're good people. We value this, we, we're in tune with this, we want to try to live this way. I just, I just kind of gave you the warning, then, then okay, live this way. But as you remember the kind of love that Jesus has given you, that's the kind of love that you give on. It's frustrating, man, to a spouse who never listens to you, to a kid who never obeys, obeyed, to a friend who doesn't have your back. To a congregation that isn't generous, just pick something, right? To people you work with who say they're Christian, but you couldn't, you'd never discover it by watching them, to all the people you see on TV, to all those other people whom you'd like to judge, right? It's so frustrating. But this is the difference between Jesus' kingdom and all the other kingdoms, is that Jesus doesn't work by raw power. It's powerful to be forgiven. Oh, it's the most powerful thing. To be loved? Love is the sort of thing that can resurrect the dead. It's powerful. It's just not irresistible. It's not put to you by force. Nobody's going to make you confess and nobody's going to make you be forgiven. However, I highly recommend it. Right? You you can never fall in love because love is so painful. If that's what you want, protect yourself from it. Because believe me, Somebody will break your heart, and, you know, you'll think you're going to die. You, you will. But, I mean, this is how things work. You want to be safe? Don't have kids. Kids are crazy. You ever met any kids? <laughs> I mean, they make you nuts. My strong advice to you is to write a note to your parents today and tell them how much you love them. Okay, okay, right? <laughs> so not by. So your job. I mean, this is great. What's your job? Your job's to be the father. is so what you you do. What Jesus does? What does Jesus do? He runs to people, humiliates himself. I'm not saying. Just so you don't misinterpret me, I'm not saying indulge in all the sins with your friends. I'm not saying. Make yourself a victim or a punching bag for somebody who would abuse you. I'm not saying um, go to dangerous places and hang around there for a while. If you're going to do that, read Psalm 1. Blessed in the man, the sinner is the one who stops, sits down, listens, and is suddenly pulled away. What I'm saying to you is the simple thing, which is God loves everybody, so you love everybody. God loves sinners, so you love sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So I'm encouraging you to live in a kingdom. So, so often we import stuff from the other kingdoms and we bring it into the church as if um, it's okay, it's not okay. Number 11, this kingdom is energized and directed by selfless love, given for free as grace, targeting our misery with divine mercy. A mercy that is once strong enough to raise the dead, but weak enough to be refused. That's what you're aiming at. And so in this story, I just turned the page, but the rest of it is kind of here for you. And you can sort of figure this out, because I didn't get to it last week, and I didn't get to it this week, and I'm not going to put it up there again next week, so we'll figure something else out, right? But, um, you know, deep down, this is a story about love and forgiveness and resurrection. So my last thing at point 15... And maybe I've been trying to say this and not very well the whole time. When I watch the news, when I read the newspaper, when I listen to people talk, when I'm online, the little bit that I'm online, when I, I feel like I'm living in a world full of seventh grade boys. I mean, they all, they all get their chests puffed out and they're, you know, f- feeling it. And you can make them cry in 15 seconds or less. As Bart Simpson once said, memorably, making teenagers depressed is like shooting fish in a barrel, right? <laughs> the point of all this is that you could be, if you just, I just, I just suggest you, be gentle to people. People are very fragile. The world's in a fragile place. America's in a fragile place. And getting more brittle. And what do you have to lose? Like, what difference does it make to you? Because you live in a different kingdom. And that kingdom is meant to pull. Yeah, I know that if they're, and I'm not, so among the things I'm not saying is let everybody do what they want and just let all hell break loose and, you know, come Lord Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about what the, you live in the kingdom of heaven. You live in the kingdom of God. You live in the kingdom of God within the kingdom of the world, right? But you live in the kingdom of God. This is your citizenship. This is your reality. This is who you are. What makes Christians different? They respect the dignity of other people. They see below the surface to the fragility of life and how difficult it is for people. And they're merciful to other people with the same mercy that they themselves desire. And if you get people or pastors or churches or denominations that do not live by mercy, shut it down. Join the Villa Park Soldiers and Sailors Club. You'd be very, very good candidates. You're all squeaky clean. We live by mercy. People are fragile. Be merciful, right? People are in trouble. Love them. Yes, all the rest comes along. Yes, I'm not advocating chaos. Yes, but I'm just saying to you, this is the thing that distinguishes Jesus, um, that you end up like the older brother who comes back home. I'm sorry, you end up like the younger brother who comes back home and lives in love toward everybody else restored and never forgetting the memory of what he once was. And not like the older brother who is always in judgment of other people. We had to celebrate and be glad. This brother is yours was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. So I don't know. There's so much to say about that. I, I was afraid to go a second week with it. Now I'm afraid that I only went a second week with it, but... We should pray and go to church. The Eucharist will be there, and that'll be good, and a baptism, too. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, remember, next week we won't meet because it's uh, Pastor Bukes and his family last Sunday, so we'll meet downstairs in the commons and um, love them as much as we possibly can. Cheers. See you next week.